You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Chodesh to everyone. Uh, Rosh Chodesh is not a day that we're supposed to be maspid. We're not supposed to be giving hespedim. Um, and I'm going to try to skirt away from giving a hespid. But I think every one of us um, is feeling, although it's been two weeks, the incredible loss of Rav Adin and of Ramosha Steinsaltz. Uh, Evan Yisrael, as the name that he was given by the Rebbe, uh, Rebbe and, and, and that is the name that I think, um, I believe there's a picture on his Matzeva, I think, uh, I don't know if the both names are there, but Adin Evan Yisrael, Adin Steinsaltz, Rav Adin Steinsaltz, Zecher Tzadik Livrocha. Um, he passed away two weeks ago, a little bit less than two weeks ago, and uh, maybe exactly for B'nai Eretz Yisrael. And I want to share with you his approach on Chodesh Elul, which of course is today. And I think that this approach that he was taken from a transcript of a shmooze that he said, in many ways is uh, embodies so much about who Rabbi Dean Steinsaltz was. And I think it's a strong message for us to hear on Rosh Chodesh Elul. And I don't want to say I'm going to be being masked him, but it should, he should have, this should be a schus for his neshama, and his schuyot are immense. If I if, talk about people who have schusim, uh, the, the schusim of Steinsaltz are kefal, kefal, kefalim, it, it would be in, almost impossible to be able to comprehend the amount of people that he has touched and changed. It only, even if the only thing he had done was the Talmud, rewriting the Talmud and restructuring it and putting it in that format that it was. Even if that was the only thing he ever did, that would, that would already have been something that the schusim were incredible. Um, I'm not talking about the Koran edition or the Random House edition uh, in English, which of course are also very important things. And um, uh, it's clear that I believe, again, I hope I, I will be able to see it. I believe that his, that edition of the Shas that um, has been coming out, the Noah current edition, I believe that it will be a very good alternative and maybe even surpass in some areas the art scroll. And I think that the, the next 20, 30 years are going to see even more schuyos for Zchutim, Zchuyot, for Rav Steinsaltz in the English-speaking world as, the, as that work gets translated and spread. But I want to uh, start uh, with his schmooze about Chodesh Elul, and from there we'll work back a little bit. So, this is, uh, here's our Steinsaltz. Atvisa Ravechati 
שימי אלול אמורים להיות ימים של מרה שחורה. Most people believe that what Elul is supposed to be is a time of depression. Anachot, pechiyot, yaralot. Look at what your world has been. Look at what your life has been up until now. Look what things you've been doing. And, and you're upset about it. You look at yourself in the mirror straightforwardly and you say into your soul and you say, I'm corrupt. People think about their Averos. But Rav Steinzold said, This type of behavior of hand-wringing and discovering your sins and seeing all the negative things that you've done and putting them out there for yourself does not, in most cases, bring a positive change to the person. Um, now, Rav Steinsos mentions here Chai Elul. Now, this has become a Hasidic um, Yom Tov. It is known as the day of the, of, of the birth of two very important Hasidic Rebbes. One, the ultimate Hasidic Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov. And the other one was the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe of Shneir Zalman of Liadi. So in Lubavitch circles, Chai Elul is, is, is a very important day. And it has to do with the whole feast of birthdays and the connection between the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe. And do not make any mistake about it, that Steinsaltz wasn't just a Lubavitcher. He was, his whole machus was Chabad, despite the fact that he had a lot of other interests. And despite the fact that you could appreciate him without appreciating Chabad. But to really know who Steinsaltz was, you have to realize how much Chabad played a role in his life. And part of that has to do with the fact that uh, as he was, in, uh, he's, he was born in Yerushalayim, and it's been said that he was the first Baal Tshuva of Medina Yisrael because he basically, his parents, although he, with research, he discovered, and maybe they knew it themselves, they were all from Chassidish uh, Mishpachas, and they had been, they were Eneklach on one side from Rabbi of Mvorka, on the other side from some of the great Slonim Rebbes. They themselves, the home he was raised in was was was, was why they went to Eretz Yisro, I believe they went because they thought what would be being built there was in line with a communistic or socialist values. And I'm not sure, he was born in Yerushalayim, but from the way I understand, and you can correct me if you know any differently, that his parents were uh, uh, basically uh, not religious and were uh, very much in line with an atheistic philosophy, although they were living in Yerushalayim. Um, at 10 years old, he decided to change. How he came into Chabad, because Chabad had yeshivas there in Yerushalayim, was his family from Chabad? I don't think so. But somehow Chabad became where he, he uh, gravitated to. And that changed his life at such a young age. Now, uh, I was um, 
I don't know if, uh, if, if I'm able to find it. You can see here, this was a letter from 1953. Um, at that point, uh, Radin was 16 years old. Let's see what it says here. Um, this was a letter um, to um, uh, one of the mashpiyim in Yerushalayim, Rav Shmar Yohu. Um, please find a copy of my letter to the Avreich Adin Steinsaltz, who lived in uh, Katamon 100, Asher Kinira Mimichtovo, Shekibauti, who begil Tezayin Shona, Unovachu Bedarko Vachayim. Now, at 10, he declared he wanted to be a Shomer Mitzvot, but his mother was working on him. His mother wanted him to, he saw what sort of genius this boy was and wanted him to become something even greater in her mind, something something real. And he did, um, he was actually um, uh, enrolled in University of in, in um, Hebrew U, in the mathematics department, I believe, um, and he was one of the youngest, or the youngest student that was there. He had already spent a number of years with Lubavitcher Hevra, learning from them. But now he turned to the Rebbe himself, and he wrote him that he's not sure, because he's getting a lot of pressure. By the way, uh, I spoke with someone earlier this morning who said his grandfather was one of the older boys who was one of who would who would teach for Steinsaltz. And Steinsaltz at 10 and 11 was being taught ideas about the world of what we know is important, the Yud Gimli Karim. And they were stressing to him the idea of Trias Amesim and Ailab Haba. And and even though he knew he wanted to be a moral person who kept Torah mitzvahs, Rav Steinsaltz this young boy, preteen, couldn't comprehend the idea of life after death, that there actually is human life and that the nisham is so eternal and that there is trias amesim. He says he can't believe that. So as much as he knew he didn't want to be godless, he, it still took a long time. It took a number of years for this seed to develop. And he he wrote to the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Lubavitcher Rebbe accepted this letter. This, again, from this 16-year-old. And it says, he's Novuch Bedarko B'chaim. V'gam asviva b'beso e'na matima kol kach l'terach ha-tora. V'me'anoch anhoye shekzav shekzot haroso arav you should try to meet him in Baatsmo. Take him out of where he is and the doubts that are assaulting him. He should go to some place out of Yerushalayim in order that his parents can't have such an influence. Right? 
So this is the Rebbe himself appealing to one of the great mashpiyim to save Rav Steinsaltz. That was in 1953. Um, to say that it worked, <laughs> to say that it worked is, is an understatement. Um, he was definitely uh, taken by, by the, these mashpiyim, and it was clear that although he did attend those classes, um, his mother wasn't able to get him to continue. And he actually, although he received a number of uh, honorary doctorates, he never uh, completed his, his college program. Although I think he has, a, uh, he has seven or eight official uh, doctorates from a number of different uh, universities. Now, Chai Elul is, of course, a Lubavitcher idea, and, the, and, and Steinsaltz bought into it completely. What does that mean? It's a Chodesh of Chaim. It's not just the 18th of Elul. The, the number 18 means Elul needs to be about life. It isn't supposed to be about depression. It isn't supposed to be about the fact, a seriousness, that the seriousness is forced upon you, and it penetrates you, it should be what we know the remez of Elul is. Anila Dodi, someone that I love. It should be, of course, thinking. And hope, though. A hope that generates life. Many people think of Steinzelt said that in order to be a Yerushamayim, you have to be not so sympathetic to the world. You have to, in a, in a way, harden yourself to humanity. Uh, in a way, you appear to the world completely like a, like, a, like a beaten dog. You have to walk around in a sense of like, 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 like you're, in a, you're, you're hurt. He says, we know Elul is supposed to be tshuva. What is tshuva? The Malachi says to us, You're in the dark. Tshuva isn't supposed to make you feel dark and depressed. If, if, if the Derech Hashem is going to lead to depression, God hates that. What do we say? is not necessarily the person dying. It means the person has deadened himself. It has to be B'chaim or B'simcha. We know, Rav Steinsaltz, in fact, is going to say later that there are people that are walking dead men because they've lost the ability to strive and to become different. He says most people who think about tshuva think about a careful examination of the averis that they've done. And Rabbi Yisrael Salanter and others did actually say that what a person should do and many of the great Balei Musa had, and I, I would say it's a good thing. I myself kept such a diary for a while, and I, I, I wish I had the strength to do it. But to actually write down what things you've done that day, and to think about those, those negative things. And, and I don't know if that's a, a contradiction to this. If this is what you do every day, and you write down the Averis that you've done, the things you could have done differently, or you make a check mark, 
the Bali Musa used to walk around with little notebooks and they would write constantly where they did something wrong or they had a bad machshava. Now, Rav Steinsaltz is saying if a person takes Elul and decides, now's my time to do my recounting of the year and figure out the halachos I didn't keep, uh, the tefillin I didn't wear on my head properly, the benching I didn't do correctly. Again, he's willing to have the courage to say it's not going to change you. Why? Because all you're doing is thinking about the details that you should have had a kavana for the first bracha, the tefillin should have been straight. You're forgetting the main thing. You would say, isn't what it's about? Aren't supposed to learn Shulchan Aruch? Isn't Shulchan Aruch about knowing what's mutter and what's aser? And that's the way you live. You live according to Shulchan Aruch. I live according to Halacha. That's not enough, Steinsalt said. It's not about Osir and Mutter. In fact, if you don't deal with the greater issues, look what he says here. Maybe you're not even a person. If all you are is about a functionary, knowing exactly what has to be done, fulfilling that, understanding that, and now knowing how to do it. He says, you could be makayim the kol atayrakula with every detail, and you're still not a person. Now, <laughs> that's a pretty strong statement. In fact, Steinsaltz quotes this Ramban that we all know about in Parshas Kedoshim, a novel Bershus HaTorah. Now, the Ramban is talking about somebody who fulfills mitzvos, but actually still uh, drinks too much, has too much sexual relations, uh, and, 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 and doesn't take care of the big picture. Steinsaltz is talking about a, basically a person who does keep all the mitzvos, not drinking too much. He still calls that person a novel versus uses the Zohar language to call him a shed Yehudi, a Jewish ghost. He's not even alive. He has a beard, he has peos, he has tzitzis. He keeps every simon in Shulchan Aruch, even the ones that say you're supposed to learn Torah and you're supposed to be Isaac and you're, and you're supposed to do Masavamat and Vamuna and to be honest in your business and to wait to go back to learn every second you can. That's all in Shulchan Aruch. But he was willing to say, Someone can fulfill the whole Shulchan and still not be a human. What is it that you need to change? You need to be clear about, and you've articulated to yourself, what is my direction in life? You need to say, where am I going? What is my purpose of being? What do I want to get from my life at the end? That question has to be very strong and explained to yourself, and you have to be able to radiate that as well. That's what you gain to become a person. Now, um, because if not, you're just a collection, Osef Mikri Shomasim. You're a collection of incidents that happen to you. That's what you are. There's, what are you? You did this and this and that. 
We talk about Rav Steinsaltz himself. What was he about? He was about the incredible spreading of, of, of Torah towards the world in any possible way, but especially towards an intellectually charged, sophisticated, but primarily secular audience in a way that he did not speak down to them. And he also understood that there would be certain perceptions that they wouldn't be able to get because they weren't raised in the yeshiva world. He understood that there needed to be alternative readings on the page to the Rashi. As much as he was mocked to have Rashi on his Gemara pages, he also had his own running commentary where he would many times reject and present a reading of the Gemara which was easier to understand than Rashi. I made a call uh, a couple of hours ago, and last night, I wanted one of the chief editors of Art Scroll uh, to be on the line here and to, 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 to share with you um, the difference between their approach and, and Steinsaltz. Now, those of you that are part of my Daifiomi share know, I many times say, I'm going to tell you what Rashi, I don't want to do Rashi, because Rashi is too complex and too difficult for a Daifiomi uh, type of learning. And what I just said, many people, what, you didn't learn Dafyomi with Rashi? Art Scroll will tell you that they are, in, in, in their default mode is to explain the Gemara based on Rashi. And I am not, anyone knows who knows me knows that I am the greatest chassid of, of, of the words of Rashi. But who is your audience? If it's Balabatim who have 35 minutes or 40 minutes and then they have to leave, you want the, what's the purpose of Dafyomi? What was the purpose of the Steinsaltz Gemara? It was in order to, 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 to enwrap the greatest amount of people. And therefore, he knew that was his tachlis. So he needed to alter and change and give them the type of material and explanation that they would be able to latch onto and accept and not just reject as too complex too, uh, too much of a labyrinth, not being able to really uh, jive with the actual reality. Now, he, he stepped very carefully when he dealt with Gemarot that seemed to deal with the supernatural or seemed to uh, fly in the face of scientific reality. And he was careful to show respect, but also to open up the possibility. Because those Gemarot, have a, have a potential for someone to say, what, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to learn this. This is, this is obscure. This is primitive. Steinzels protected the Talmud by doing that. It's not like he, now, if he'd be writing for the people that he grew up with in the Chabad Yeshiva, if he'd be writing for Dafka the Bnei Torah, perhaps it wouldn't have been necessary. Maybe even some of them might have doubts because <laughs> it bleeds through. But this is where, you know, it, it clearly, you know, he saw his tachlis. Now I'm going to get to uh, the, 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 the criticism. And the, it, it was about 30 years ago, 31 years ago, 
that his svarim uh, were put in chayrim. I remember, I never, I want to tell you, I have never purchased a Steinsaltz Gemara, but I have a lot of them. The reason is, is because 31 years ago, when his farm were put in the Cherem by Rabbonim Ibn Ebrak in, 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 in New York and other places, many people threw this farm, gave this farm away. And, and they, didn't know, they didn't want to burn them, but they brought them and just left them. And I was sitting in the yeshiva in Chicago, and I see one of the Rosh Hashivas comes in with a bunch of Steinsaltz Gemaras, and he says, okay, I, uh, uh, the, the Rabbonim have paskined against them, the Svarim and Cherem, well, I was ready to take them. So I, I still have many of them. So that, that is the point here. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that Cherem soon. But anyway, you need to know what your, what, what your derech is. Um, and if you do, then it isn't just accomplishments. There is a clear derech of what your life is. Steinzel says a horse remains a horse. He can wear tefillin every day. And you don't even become a holy horse because of that. A person can put on tefillin, be makai mitzvahs, and learn Torah, and many, many things. But what's really the difference between him and another organic being? He doesn't say it's the neshama. He says it's, you know what your purpose is. You know it and you're following it. It's not the details of what you do every day. That's what makes a human a human. Now, a horse, he says, is a great creature. It's all, to, to have a horse is a great thing for God, that a person is, is <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It can do great things. You can get places quickly. It's a noble beast. But to be a person is a lot more complex. You have to struggle. And you have to say, where am I going? And what is the purpose of life? Therefore, Elul has to not be about details. It has to be what is what are you going to do with your life? What is going to be your role? Now, we talk about Chai Elul, which is what the Chassidim, Lubavitchers, and others say is the birth of Chassidus. And we know, he says, if you look in the Gemara of Zara, Look what it says in Gemara Vaydazara, Yeraschet, maybe we day Chasidus. Chasidus, maybe we Ruch HaKodesh. Chasidut, the way it's in the Gemara, although that's not what the Balshemtav maybe meant, leads you to Ruch HaKodesh. And Ruch HaKodesh, of course, the Gemara says, the Brysis says, Ruch HaKodesh leads you to Trias HaMesim. That is something that, that's Chasidus in the Gemara. So, can a regular person be a chassid? Forget about having a rebbe. Can you really call yourself a chassid if in the Gemara, in the Brisa, chassid is on, is on one of the highest levels? How can, in other words, he's now really questioning what does it mean when we say people are chassidim? It isn't just I have a rebbe. And he had a rebbe. He not only wrote a book about the rebbe, but he also has in Hebrew and English many, many things about the Rebbe. And I'm going to share with you some, some things about what the Rebbe wrote to him. I, I shared with you before what the Rebbe wrote about him. 
but four years later and a number of years later, I'll show you what the Rebbe wrote to him. But what does it mean for, for you to say you want to be a chassid? Chassid means you dream to be like that person who's right before Ruch HaKadosh. You're not a chassid yet. But you know what makes you a chassid today? Your desire to want to be that. The fact that you've decided this is what you want to eventually become, that means, in a sense, you're a chassid. Now, can you become that chassid that the Mishnah mentions, the Brisa mentions? That's chaste Hashem. But the the chassid for today, the chassidus, the way it exists today, he says, is is the desire that you are trying to fulfill that. You're doing something, starting that path, and you have in your mind this incredible image of what you would like to be. That's what makes you a chassid today. The Medrash says, What does that mean, Your desire already is half of the thing. And that's already part of it. Your decision that you're ready that you can really believe about yourself, that you could become a tzaddik, and to get all the way, to climb your way up, that already creates something within you. And if that's where you're at, not just what my purpose is based on my brains, my capabilities, but also you listening to that spiritual clock within you, that battery within you, and imagining that you could become that, that is already something. And that's what it means to be a chassid today. Now, he says again, most people, when they say, what am I? I want to be a good balabas. If that's where you are, you want to be a good balabas, if that's on your shidduch resume, me Adam Kazen notes, and he says, mostly, Adam Kazen notes are balabas, you become a balabas, but it's not a good balabas. Steinzoltz said you need to try to be a malach, nothing less. That doesn't mean you're going to become a malach. But you're going, you're going to get something closer to that. And in a way, that's going, you're going to be somewhat similar to that and connected to it. You need, to, you need to want to reach incredible madregos and you want to be able to dream in a way, to imagine incredible things. You might, you might not get there, but God can help you. But if all your dreams are only here, you're just going to be down here and you're never going to get great. In this context, I want to share with you what I mentioned before. I mentioned before the the um, the attack on our Steinsaltz. And I, it's very hard for me to mention it because it's hard to paint everyone in that story in the best light. Suffice to say that by 1989, Steinsaltz was only at that point, you know, I was I was maybe you were more surprised than I was. I was surprised how young he was. Considering, and Steinzoltz said that he didn't know the enormity of what was in, uh, what was in front of him, 
when he began his project. He began his project when he was, um, again, he got the, uh, the push from the Israeli government that once he got the stuff on the ground, they would distribute the Talmud in all the different high schools all over the place. He had been working uh, as the head of a Mamlachadati high school and other things like that in his 20s. And he had ideas about Jewish education that were very strong. And he wanted the Talmud to spread. And he knew that if he could get the Israeli government behind him. Now, I just spoke to one of Rosh Feinzel's Talmudim. Uh, and he told me that the Israeli government, all they would do would distribute it. But he had to come up with the funds to get to work on it and to publish it. And he would not be paid by them in order to work on it they would be the distributing arm and make sure that the Gemaras were spread everywhere. So in that sense, they were his partners. But he started the work when he was, uh, to, uh, seriously, to start Brochos at 27. And he worked on it for 45 years. And, and again, he definitely put his shoulder, and we'll talk about how much was he the sole complete author of everything. But he didn't realize what it was about. How immense and incredible. But here was his shi'ifa to do it. Now, but there was also the shi'ifa to be a malach. Now, as I said, in 1989, after the Gemaras were almost finished, uh, I don't know if every volume had been done, but they were very well spread out. So many of his other works that he had written uh, about people in Tanakh, Timuyota Mikra, Nashim Bimikra, Talmud Lako. These were other svarim, other books that he had written, published by not necessarily uh, the, 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 the greatest publishing companies. I'm not sure who was responsible for publishing them. And they became bestsellers in the Israeli public, even more than the Gemaros. It was much easier to pick up a, you know, a book that, you know, that's, uh, and, and he had a very lively style and he was able to write in a way that, that was interesting. Um, as I said before, he wanted the Talmud to be real, but he also wanted Tanakh to be real. And he wrote dramatic descriptions of the, uh, of the Ovos and of the people in Tanakh, not registering what the Midrash Chazal said about them. Not mentioning like the Gemaras and Shabbos that, that speak about how there were no Chatoyim and that the Chet was Dak Menadak. And in the Yeshiva world especially, especially with the influence of what is called the Pana, the, um, the Slabod Keshita, which was taken off in Panovich and other places, which was that these are, these are Averos on the most... Um, Dak minadak. These are averos that are from the most subtle, subtle averos, and that really you you have, you have to think. There's no way that David Amelach or or or, or, or Yitzchok or any of the people are in Tanakh. We cannot comprehend them. They are such malachim to the point that we can't even read them and understand them. If there is an avera, this is the way you have to understand it. These books were not written in that spirit. These books were written in a way to reach a certain audience. When these books were, were scanned and, and studied by expert yeshiva bachrim, kayul guys, and others who were, who were like attack dogs 
that were on the scent to find sections and elements of where he seemed to be assuming things that we would call apicarsis. One of the things that they found was in his Talmud, introduction to the Talmud, he talked about the development of halacha, especially the halacha pikuach nefesh, that's docha Shabbos. And he, and he was able to, um, to tether it in a historical situation that occurred. Instead of what we would say, instead of what we would say, that it was always known that that Pikuach Nefesh is Dolcha Shabbos, Steinsaltz implied, and was more than an implication, that it, it was a result of history. It was a result of the deaths of many people by the hands of the, the, the Greek uh, Seleucids when they discovered these tzaddikim, these Hasidim, who had hid in a, a cave and who refused to fight and defend themselves on Shabbos and were worse than smoked out, but they were trampled and killed because they felt they could not defend themselves with weaponry on Shabbos, even though it meant giving up their lives. So from there, there was a decision that Chil Shabbos, that Pikuach Nefesh is Doche Shabbos. It's not Pikorsis, right? We know it says Vachai and of course, that's one of the central themes of the Tyra, that, that, that human life is central. You were going to say that was not true by Moshe Rabbeinu? It wasn't true by Dovid HaMelech? It only became true in the time of Bayesheni, after the, the Seleucids invaded Eretz Yisrael and took over? So that was, that was, that was, that was this idea that, that, that Zechariah Frankel and others created, the idea of historical Judaism. That Judaism developed based on historical antecedents, and he he's putting that in his sefer. So these were the attacks that were leveled, and there were places, of course, as I said, where he's docherashi. Rabbi Kivalevich? Yes. But we, we do, I'm sorry, but Josephus writes about this. He was a contemporary. He is. Uh, he was a witness to a, a lot of these things. Right, so, so I understand you. So there you. So you you go going against. Uh, you know we have these problems. Is uh, historical documents versus Misora? I think that's an old uh, contradiction. Right, sometimes. But, but 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 what Steinsaltz was doing was was lacing the Talmud with that. He was he was trying to to present. This is what the Gemara is. This is what Halacha is, and he was using these sources implying that the Gemara was not all sacrosanct, the Talmud and Allah was not sacrosanct in advance. It's only something that developed later. Many key elements were a byproduct of history, not a byproduct of the way God gave it over to Moshe Rabbeinu, and that there was this unbroken Masorah. So, um, now, when, this, when these were presented to Rav Shach, and others, there was a call to finally, in their mind, to uproot these Gemaras and uproot Steinsaltz's farm in general, and to say all his farm should be put in Cherem. I don't know if the person was going to be put in Cherem, but that he smacks of Apikarsis. And um, in, in 1989, um, 
the Bezdin Tzedek of Yerushalayim was called to rule on this as well. The Badats. Now the Badats in Yerushalayim was, was basically an arm of Satmar. The Rabbanim who served, I'm not talking about the Rabbanut Aroshit. I'm talking about the Badats. People here from Eretz Yisrael know there's a big difference when I say Heksher Badats, right? Or Heksher Rabbanut. The Badats, you'll say, is much more Haredi. The Badats, the Rabbanim who came there now, of course, the head of the Badats is Rav Moshe Sternbach, who isn't a Chosid so much. But for years, the people that were, the, the Rabbanim who had the Badats were under the control and influence, I don't want to say control, of the Satmarov. The Satmarov, although who did not go to Eretz Yisrael, the Satmarov, in a way, was involved in who would, who would rise to be the head of the Bezdin. Now, Satmar, and especially, did not appreciate Chabad at all. Now, I have to tell you that I don't know if the Lubavitcher Rebbe agreed with everything Steinsaltz did, but his main guide in terms of, for example, changing the Tzuras Adaf, which was one of the issues, the Rebbe, again, I, don't, I can't find the evidence, but from what I'm hearing from the people who know, the Rebbe was supportive of this. Now, so, Steinsaltz, first of all, it smells like apicarsis. And it's Chabad as well. And we know what Chabad is about. So therefore, there was a, a plenty of reason for the Bezdin Sedek to clearly rubber stamp what was already done in Yerushalayim and, through, and, 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 and basically put Steinsaltz and his Svarim in Cherem. At least his Svarim. I'm not sure if he would be put in Cherem, but it would be tantamount to the same thing to make sure no from person would ever touch Steinsaltz Gemaris at all, and in general, give off a smell that this is something people should not be connected with. The Bezdin Sedek, I want to show you a little bit about that story. Ravari Freund, as you see, was the Av Bezdin. Rabbi Yisrael Moshe Dushinsky, the son of the great Tzadik, Rabbi Yosef Tashinsky, Rabbi Yisrael Yaakov Fischer, Rabbi Yomin Rabinovich, Sternbach was there as well. They looked at all the tzitutim, they looked at all the quotes, but then Binyamin Rabinovich, who was known as Rabbi Yomin Atzadik, his usual way was to be Yoshe Bishose. He said, this is not our role here. This is a political attack on Steinsaltz. This is a little attack between Dego Atar and Chabad. He said that I want to tell you who Steinsaltz is. He came from a communist family. He fought his mother from the age of 10. She wanted to continue university. He wanted to stay in yeshiva. If a person has mysterious nefesh like this, I know he is a good person. In fact, 
there is a tradition that in 1989, I'm not sure if who is listening to this and how they know it to be true, but one of Rav Benyamin's students said they, that, that, um, that Rav Yekutel Farkish, Rav Chaim Shalom Deitch, they went to, to give edus to Rav Benyamin about Rav Steintzov's. What they did was, Rabbi Kutel told his Rebbe, Rabbi Yomin, how Rav Steinzaltz davened, how he davened on Shabbos. Hours and hours of avoda in davening. Rabbi Yomin, the av, one of the one of the dayonim, wanted to know exactly how Rav Steinzaltz was davening, and he and he heard from people in Katamon. how many hours he would spend davening, how his tefillah was so with, with, with love and his lavos. And this is what I want to share with you. Rabbi Yaman turned to the other dayanim and said, Just like Doeg Adomi, you could be a, one of the greatest geniuses in Torah of the generation. And inside... You really don't believe. But godless tefillah and shvicha slave to the rabbinu shayla, that can't happen. You can't fake that. It can't be that you dance and love and cry and it's obviously authentic that you stand hours and hours in front of God crying and loving and clapping and feeling and that Internally, you really do not believe in the system, and you don't think that really all Torah is Menashamayim. He says, Rabbi Yaman said, he spends hours every day davening, thinking, and avoda, singing, Yishtokakus. That's true. He says, that can't be faked. That's, that is the malach that we're talking about. That's what we're talking about when we say, the Sha'ifa to be a Malach. That's what Rav Steinzoltz showed. And that's the reason why the Badats refused to go along. What did they do instead? What they did was they had Rav Steinzoltz agree to fix those problematic passages in three books. And Rav Steinzoltz called for those books to be recalled, and they would, and, and he would issue new editions of those books with those passages deleted. Now, how did those passages get there? All right. Rav Steinzoltz in some places said he, they wrote uh, other people, other alien hands wrote them. I'm not sure about that, uh, honestly. It could be he just felt he needed to write it. But he said, alien hands took took control there and got it written. Shochu Yudei Zor. Does that mean he mistakenly wrote it? The point of the matter was, is that, the, and, and the Shas was fine. Nobody, the, 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 the frumis Bezdin in the world, 
the Badats of Yerushalayim did not put that Shas in the Chayra. Um, let's just finish off here with a, a couple of points. A person needs to be to try to reach Shamayim. What is Elo? To try to work on your desire as much as possible. If you're open your mouth. You need to, you have to dream big. Think about great things that you could do. You're speaking to God who can do everything. So go as strong as you can. Try to think and imagine what you can be. He brings a beautiful drash. We know Shol Melech asks Yonatan, asks Yonason, Madua lo bo ben Yishai, gam timol gam ayom el alechem. Simple pshat, of course, means how come he's not here today? How come he's not at that meal? That was on a Rosh Chodesh, by the way. And this is where we see you're supposed to have a Sudas Rosh Chodesh. But look what the Hasidim that Rosh Steinzel's quote says here. What's the drash? You know what the question is, Shola Melech says, why isn't Mashiach here? Madua Loben Yishai. Why is not the Mashiach? Because you know what it is? Gam Timol Gamayom. There's a there's a Kabbalah that was Rosh Hashanah or a two-day Rosh Chodesh. It was a two-day Yom Tif. It was Rosh Hashanah those days. The first day of Rosh Hashanah. The second day of Rosh Hashanah. What are we thinking about? Lechem. We're thinking about the economy. We're thinking about Parnos. We're thinking about mortgage payments that we can't pay. We're thinking about all the things that we're not able to do. Nothing more than that. If that's what it is, you don't get Mashiach. (laughs) You can ask for Mashiach. Why didn't you do that? That's why Mashiach didn't come. You want to know, that's the question. It's alalechem, because what are you? You're just a little human. That's what you're after. You, don't you know you can be more than that? As he says, even worse, even stronger. Listen to this, and we'll end with this. He says that. You can't just say, what more is I to do? Tell me what I have to do and do it, which is what I tell my wife all the time. What do you want me to do? Just give me the, just tell me, give me, write out what you want, I'll do it. You can't be that way with Rabboni Shalom. It's not only an Avera, it's disgusting, Steinsalt said. Ein bavodas Hashem musik shall maspik. Okay, I did it. All right? Checkbox, checkbox. If that's the way you live, listen to what we're saying, and you checked all your boxes, what is that? Where is Olam Haba connected to that person? This is such a great line. Can't send him to Gehenim. Why? Because he's medatek because he does every mitzvah. Oh, he can't go to Ganadin either. Ganadin's worse for him. If all you did 
was basically fulfill what you needed to do. So you never desired to reach the Shekhinah itself. You never desired to be that Malach. So what's going to be, what, what do you think Ganadin is? Yispaka Mishimum. You're going to be totally bored. You're going to burst from boredom and from, from inertia when you get there. You'll be there for a half hour. This is what I, this is my life. It's so alien, he says, to what you've been thinking about. Then do you see how radical this is? Normally you'd say the neshama, of course, is there and great and magnificent. So the neshama was in this body that can't comprehend spirituality, but at least the neshama was able to overpower the body to get it to be, to have self-control and to not steal and to not be involved in arayas and, and, and maybe not say, and not say Loshanara and basically fulfill what you can as a good person and then die. Rav Steinzel says if you're missing those sheifos, those ritzonos, Olam Habba is going to be worthless to you. What's it going to be? <laughs> because what's Olam Habba? Sadikim Yoshman, Vatroseim, Beroshayim, Venenim, Bezineshchin, Elomayad. So that, look what he says. That'll be your Onish. <laughs> your Onish is, 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 is Olam Habba. <laughs> Gan Eden is your Onish. You don't need Gehenna. Because <laughs> this, it's so, it's so, it doesn't jive with who you were. This is such a radical way of thinking of things. Because normally we say, of course, the neshama, I was talking with Sheila earlier about the neshama being tahora. The neshama comes from a different world. The neshama's in this body and sort of like, I hate this. Oh, now I'm dead. At least now I can be in Ganeda. Steinzold says if the neshama never is able to be touched and the total human is never able to feel and desire and, and, and get that direction going and that direction is to be the ultimate chassid, and the ultimate Mila. And even, even Gan Eden becomes Gehenna for that person. So, I think that we've gotten a, a pretty strong message of what Elul needs to be. And it can be, we can thank the great, great Neshama that came into this world in a place where it had to fight and struggle to eventually become one of the greatest teachers, really, as they say in the millennium. I don't know if I'm going to say that. And the people who worked under him, the people that he inspired, in a sense, you, you can see in the schmooze, it's Rav in a sense, talking from himself. And we should be zochet to, to, to take that type of nitzitz within ourselves and have those type of shi'ifas and mirz Hashem, if that's the way, we're going to have much more than a great Rosh Hashanah and Yom Adin. We're talking about truly being nena mizivashkin. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 